Hi, I'm Mitch Robitaille. And I'm Mel Kamganakin. This is Policy Talks. Welcome to Policy Talks, a show diving into all things related to policy analysis in international affairs. This week, I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Mel. Thanks, Mitch. So, Mel, how does it feel to be on summer break? Yeah, it's fantastic. I've been getting some beach days in, just been enjoying the weather and uh, playing softball for the first time. How's your softball season going? Uh, well, um, <laughs> I've yet to play a game. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm spending my Tuesday and Thursday nights in class, but uh, that's going to wrap up soon. So I'm happy to get out on the field with uh, Norman Batterson, Nipsia team number three. Ah. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, things are good on my end. Nice. Well, yeah, with all this beautiful weather finally coming in, which I feel like we've been waiting for forever, it uh, gets me thinking about all the upcoming summer events that we have this year. Uh, in Ottawa, we have Blues Fest. I know at the end of the month, there's uh, the Dragon Boat Festival at Mooney's Bay. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, more worldwide. We Of course, we have the Euro Cup being hosted by France this summer. And of course, we have the Summer Olympics being hosted by Rio. Interesting that you bring that up, Mel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in our inaugural episode today, we're starting off by taking a closer look at the quote-unquote chaos in Brazil, a country facing challenges at the crossroads of health sports, and corruption. Are recent developments enough to significantly impede the development of this South American Goliath? Or will we look back at these events in the future as a momentary setback in an otherwise meteoric rise of an emerging power? Brazil, a country once considered a model for economic development, lifting around 29 million people out of poverty over the last decade. Between 2006 and 2010, it experienced an average GDP growth of 4.5%, positioning itself as a robust middle-income economy. Brazil is considered to be South America's most influential country and one of the world's largest democracies. Don't get me wrong, there there were still challenges for Brazil, such as its high levels of inequality. However, by and large, the country was considered a success. I think riding this momentum, Brazil, and specifically Rio de Janeiro, was awarded the 2016 Summer Olympics in October of 2009, beating out what I would consider to be blue-chip cities like Tokyo, Madrid, and Chicago, even with the star power of a recently elected Barack Obama. Uh, And I think looking back, it's fair to say that the selection of Rio uh, to host the Games was a statement by the International Olympic Committee. Uh, Brazil had established itself as an important player in the global environment, so who better to host the first ever Olympic Games in South America? Sadly, if we fast forward to the present day, the Brazil of 2009 is now a distant memory. And in its place, we have a country that in many respects has underdelivered in its potential. We turn now to the Zika virus. Brazilian President Dilma Rousseff has declared war on the mosquitoes responsible for spreading the Zika virus. Brazil has been hardest hit by Zika with over 4,000 cases of infants with severe birth defects, which could be linked to the mosquito Now, since having won their bid, Brazil has been faced by a number of obstacles. Let's call them the trifecta of bad luck. First, a blow to its democracy and pending impeachment trial of their president, Dilma Rousseff. Second, an economic recession and stagnant growth. And third, Zika. 
a public health emergency of international concern, according to the World Health Organization. To expand on the first pillar of this so-called trifecta, for those of you listening at home, Dilma Rousseff, first female president of Brazil, is currently suspended from the presidency while the Brazilian Senate conducts an impeachment trial stemming from accusations that her government employed what is called fiscal peddling, which is essentially the use of state funds to fill budget shortfalls, and is also a clear violation of Brazilian accounting laws. Rousseff's credibility has also been dogged by the ongoing corruption scandal involving the state-owned energy company Petrobras, and her conf- uh, controversial decision to appoint former president Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva as her chief of staff, generally regarded as the second most powerful position in Brazil. Regardless of the outcome, I'd suspect that Rousseff's impeachment proceedings will cast a shadow on Brazilian democracy well beyond the 180-day trial, which itself will extend long past the Olympic Games. On the economic front, the Olympic Games have often been considered to be quite the financial burden to its host countries. Just look at the 2008 Beijing Games, which cost about $40 billion. And also looking at the Sochi Games in 2014, an estimated $50 billion. Now, with this in mind, the timing could not be worse for Brazil, which is currently experiencing its worst recession since the 1930s. In 2015, GDP contracted by 3.8%. Unemployment has risen to nearly 11%. And in combination with the political crisis, it's reasonable to say that investors are worried about the state of the country. To add to this, the anticipated revenues for the upcoming Olympics could be much lower than initially predicted. This would likely be due to a fall in tourism revenues in response to the Zika outbreak in Brazil. To put this all in context, all of these issues are compounded by other concerns related to the Olympic Games themselves including the forced displacement of those living in favelas, health threats posed by pollution in Guanabara Bay, poor infrastructure, allegations of further corruption, and seemingly the seemingly perpetual concern that venues may not be ready in time for the opening ceremony. Mitch, as you know, the Olympics have a history of bringing international criticism to their host countries. Take, for example, the controversies surrounding the human rights situations in both Russia ahead of the Sochi Games and in China ahead of the Beijing Games. Whether Rio will be able to put on a brave face for the international audience in August, well, that remains to be seen. But we can be sure Brazil will be feeling the impact of its current political and economic issues in the near future and likely beyond that. Well, Mel, I think that's a pretty good overview of the current goings-on in Brazil. Um, But in truth, we've only really scratched the surface of what is a complex and multifaceted topic. So to dive a little deeper and gain greater insight into these issues, we're pleased to be joined in the studio today by Dr. Jean Dodelin. Professor Dodelin teaches on development and conflict. He's a specialist of Latin America, particularly Brazil, Central America, and Colombia, where he has researched religious movements, indigenous politics, urban violence, economic integration, and regional politics. His current research focuses on property rights and conflict, on Brazilian foreign policy and international relations in the Americas, and on crime and violence in Latin America. Welcome, Dr. Dolin. Thank you for joining us for this conversation today. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) I hope I did you justice there as I described your your background and your current work. Uh, If there's anything I left out, please feel free to fill us in and let us know more about yourself. No, I I do I do mostly drugs and crime as right now as you mentioned at the end and I'm back from from ten months in Brazil doing just that. Perfect. 
So just to dive right in, what are your initial thoughts on this trifecta of challenges that we mentioned? Yeah, uh, I think I think that uh, the first two are are really, I mean, uh, you're you're dead on in your diagnosis. The the political crisis is overwhelming. Uh, there's an impression that the political system is is collapsing unto itself because uh, there are accusations of corruption uh, against the current government, but these accusations reach um, the very people that have replaced Dilma Rousseff in power. In fact, uh, um, a large proportion of the people who voted in favor of her impeachment, in favor, in fact, of the launch of the impeachment process, uh, are themselves uh, under investigation for corruption. And in fact, the main leader, the, the president of the Congress, the main leader of the pro-impeachment movement, was himself taken out, lost his position uh, after she was impeached. And to add to this, uh, President Temer, his political rights have been suspended. He cannot run for elections in the future. So so the first one is, is overwhelming. I mean, the the, there's really an impression of, uh, of, uh, of, of literally a, a collapse of, of the institution, except for one major thing. Um, the investigation has been led by judges. There's an impression that for the first time ever, uh, the judicial system is holding uh, the fort, basically, that uh, judges and the federal police uh, are investigating all the crimes that they are not um, they are not willing basically to submit to the diktats of of the, the political leadership. So uh, in a way, the political institutions are being saved by 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 the judicial. That's that's the impression. The economic recession. I have a few things to just very few things to add. Uh, mm. Inflation is reaching seven point eight percent. And in fact, on a 12-year basis, the, the recession, the, the contraction of the economy is around 5.3%, not 3.8, uh, not 3.5. I mean, it's even worse than people thought. Now, the third one, which makes, uh, which makes, which has so much resonance here, the, the Zika, is not really a big front-page news in Brazil. Uh, the first thing is that uh, uh, Zika had obviously horrendous consequences. You mentioned that, I mean, birth defects and so on. But uh, the symptoms of Zika for the vast majority of people affected are extremely mild. In fact, among the illnesses that are transmitted by the bug, by Aedes aegypti, uh, it's by far the least consequential, except for pregnant women and their babies. So, so the, the, the first, really it's, a, I don't know if you have a bifecta, but it's really the first two mm. issues that are, that are most important. The whole debate that we have here about, about canceling the Olympics barely makes it to the, to the front page of newspapers there. Sorry for the long answer. No, not at all. <laughs> uh, you've, you've, you've touched on a lot of things that we were hoping you would touch on. Uh, I guess to, to go back to, your, to, to what you were saying about the political situation. Um, I think it's fair to say political corruption has, has been or has become an endemic issue in Latin American politics. I think you touch on a little bit about what's going on, some of the, some of the bright spots in Brazil. I was hoping maybe, can you expand on that and, and tell us what may be unique about the current Brazilian context as opposed to corruption scandals in other Latin American countries? Well, what, what, what may be unique is... Uh, is the extent to which um, 
the police and, uh, and a few judges uh, seem to be willing and able to really get to the bottom of the story. But, but there, it's still up in the air. It's, it's unclear because until now, the, the, the investigation has mostly focused on the Workers' Party, uh, Dima Rousseff, and some of their colleagues and their partners in the private sector. Uh, which is understandable to some extent because uh, because the, the PT has been in power, has had the presidency for three full mandates. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, it's normal that over 12, 14 years uh, that they would be more involved in, uh, in, in corruption. But it's now reaching the point where it may affect uh, the two main opposition parties, in fact, the party that's currently in power, the PMDB and the PSDB, uh, the PSDB and the PMDB. Sorry, I'm mm-hmm. switching from Portuguese to French. To, uh, We're so, a multilingual program. Yeah. Okay, yes. that's that's great. That's great. So, um, so if the extent to which the investigation reaches the leaders of those parties will be a test, really, of uh, I'd say the legitimacy of the whole endeavor, and it's not yet clear how far they will go. So. Mm. That's there's something special to 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 the crisis from that standpoint, but uh, the extent to which it's special will be will be um, will be shown in in the coming months, perhaps the coming two months. And uh, so, with this kind of political chaos and Brazil having its kind of unique aspect on that, um, do you think solutions for this? Uh, this chaos it lie in the leadership of Brazil and the role of uh, the president. I, th- I think the, the the biggest political the biggest problem is uh, really has to do with political institutions. Uh, they have a, they have a, um, a very peculiar electoral system that that creates an extreme fragmentation of political parties. To come back from chaotic. I'm quoting you, <laughs> from chaotic Brazil to Canada, and to hear so many people, um, basically in Canada, who seem to want uh, proportional representation, uh, is a bit of a, of a shock. I must say, uh, political fragmentation is 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 one of the main drivers of of the crises. Uh, and there are peculiarities into the electro- in the, of the electoral system that explains more, but that, that are really more technical. But the main thing is that there are about 30 parties, so that to basically govern Brazil, you need to get lots of support, <laughs> and it's very complicated. And the way in which it's been done traditionally is by allocating contracts, and by giving jobs, there are about 60,000 jobs that are allocated by the federal government in the, in the bureaucracy, and these jobs are given in exchange for political support in Congress. They call it political articulation. You want to take something through Congress, you need to offer enough jobs and contracts to enough parties to get a majority, otherwise no law can pass. And that's 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 a major issue. So leadership is just not enough. Leadership facilitates the management of this this extremely fragmented political party, but but it does not. Uh, it's not enough. All right. 
we could talk about politics probably for an entire show. Um, <laughs> that's that, that's the, the double-edged sword of having such a multifaceted issue. I want to make sure that we, we give enough attention to each of the different uh, challenges that we have in Brazil right now. And, uh, part of what's so exciting of having you here in the studio today, um, Dr. Donnelly, is that you are just in Brazil. You yeah. know, you, you've been in Brazil for several months. Uh, and I can only speak for myself, Zika. You know, we've been talking about Zika for a while, but you actually wrote about it back in December. Yes. Um, as far as I understand here, and the state of emergency in Pernambuco. Uh, would you be able to elaborate a little bit more on your experience um, in Brazil as the government began to realize the scope of this problem? Yeah. With uh, with the people at Open Canada, we outscooped uh, the New York Times by a full month mm. on Zika. So we were quite proud of this. Um, Pernambuco is uh, is the state, if you look at the map of Brazil, there's a little point that, that's really deep in the Atlantic, and Pernambuco is the state that's almost just there. And I was in the capital of Pernambuco, and that was the epicenter of the, of the crisis at first, and then it expanded south. Um, the, well, I mean, uh, there was, uh, at first, one of the reasons why why people were caught by surprise that uh, the, most of the people who catch Zika have very minor uh, symptoms, okay? They have a bit of a rash, and, uh, and it's, it's really marginal in, in general terms. Uh, the, the same mosquito transmits dengue, which is a major problem in Brazil, and, and other illness, which is called chikungunya, that that that's that's really debilitating. I mean, I've seen many of my friends uh, basically in bed for two weeks and and then suffering from joint pain for for weeks and months. Whereas with Zika, there's almost no symptom. Most people who get it, some people get a rash. Most people who get it uh, don't even get fever, and in some cases, it's asymptomatic. So what happened is that is um, in um, in some cases, there was a there was an increase, significant increase in the number of babies being born with microcephaly, basically a birth defect that that creates very small heads. You've probably seen the pictures, which are which are quite quite shocking, and uh, and researchers in Brazil, which has a which has a very good public health system, um, quickly established, let's say, the possibility of a connection, and then there was a kind of. Uh, there was a kind of panic, and the, the main reason is that uh, the the bug, the the, the mosquito that transmitted Aedes uh, aegypti, uh, is extremely difficult to control in a city like uh, like like Recife and in poor areas, for a simple reason. It's extremely well adapted to life in poor urban areas. Um, it's active during the day. It reproduces in the smallest little. Uh, a quantity of water, uh, and um, and it's very difficult to get rid of. And you also have to understand that the northeast is the driest part of Brazil. So people have uh, people um, people try to um, st uh, have water storage, mm -hmm. and uh, and sometimes again, I mean, because of limited resources. Uh, the big water tanks are poorly uh, closed, so um, so they accumulate water, but they create they create the reproduction, the extremely good conditions for the mosquito to reproduce itself. So, so for years uh, there have been campaign to get rid of the of the mosquito that have proven to be ineffective, 
and and in practice it's extremely difficult to to do it so uh, the government reacted by by calling in the army and and a big mobilization to basically um, to basically kill the the larvae and then intensify the campaign but it quickly became clear that that it would not work that it would not work lots more to talk about but um, before we go any further let's take a short break uh, we'll be right back with more on Brazil listening to Policy Talks recorded at CKCU 93.1 FM. For more, go to www.policytalkspodcast.com. We're back with Dr. Jean Dorlet speaking about the political, social, and economic climate in Brazil. Uh, before the break, we were discussing the, the current situation uh, in Brazil and uh, just as we were going to break, you had, you had mentioned that uh, you wanted to elaborate a little bit on some of the international implications of what's going on. So, um... yes, m- much of the debate, in fact, that was that was launched to in part by a professor at the University of Ottawa uh, about the, the need to postpone the Olympics, had to do with with the possibility that the Olympics would would lead to a massive multiplication of uh, the basically an expansion of the areas of contamination of Zika to which the WHO, the World Health Organization, answered that it was already quite well distributed. Um, I think uh, I think a, a key, an important element of this, which uh, which I think is, I call it a blessing, but it's, it's obviously a, a terrible blessing, is the fact that um, the, the globalization of Zika has led to uh, to a massive global effort uh, to develop a vaccine, which I was talking about the the attempt to control the the mosquito, which are extremely difficult in in large in large poor cities, which is basically where the majority of people of the global south live. Uh, controlling the mosquito the mosquito is extremely difficult in such situation. And uh, so the reaction of the international community very quickly was to focus on development of a vaccine. And clearly, uh, such a measure and such an investment in the development of the vaccine would have been unlikely to take place if the North had not been affected. So if anything, the kind of, the kind of expansion of the reach of Zika with the Olympic has the good side effect of making it a truly of making what is, to a large extent, a, a a global South illness into a global illness, and as a result of that, 
uh, we, we are seeing massive investments in the United States and, in fact, the world over among the countries that have, that have huge resources uh, and investment in development of a vaccine, something that would have been unlikely to happen had the illness been confined to Recife. And in line with talking about this kind of international response and pitching in Global North, Global South, what do you think Canada's role should be in this? What, what should Canada be doing? Well, I don't know. I don't know if Canada is involved uh, significantly in the development of vaccines for Zika, but as a rule, I think um, I think we should bet on the fact that uh, that that's, that that Zika and Ebola just uh, last year, mm-hmm. in fact, um, spelled the end of basically the new globalized epidemic. Spelled the end of of of, of southern. Uh, illnesses of these uh, these illnesses that 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 are confined to uh, the poor population. So um, I think Canada will join and should obviously join the movement to develop vaccines to manage to manage these uh, these massive challenges uh, that are brought to us thanks to globalization. So I think uh, I think I I see Canada given its capacities, given its capabilities, as uh, being able to join in that global effort. And I don't know the details, but I'm pretty sure that, that some people are already involved in, in the global effort to deal with Zika. All right. Um, I want to change gears a little bit and discuss some of the longer-term implications uh, of what will happen over the next few months. Um, and just very broadly, I'd like to get your, your, your thoughts on what is at stake for Brazil here? If we look 10 years, 15 years down the road, and we look back at 2016, there are diverging paths about what could happen based on, on, on certain decisions. What, in your mind, what do you see? What, is, what, what could potentially be the best case scenario here for Brazil? What could potentially be the worst case scenario? Okay. The first thing to say is, is that uh, Brazil, the, the, the best description of Brazil's development path over the last 50 years uh, was obviously provided by Brazilians themselves who are very cynical and uh, clear-eyed about their own country and it's called the flight of the chicken and if you I don't know if you've seen chicken fly well they they try they go up a bit and then they crash and Brazil has been doing that mostly for for 50 years. Uh, I've written a piece for my, I think for the Nipsey blog, in fact, that's called the, the crash of the chicken. So it's just one of those periodic crash. So I, in, in general term, I see, uh, I see the future of Brazil as, uh, as more of the same. So they will probably pick up and then and then crash again because of, because it's 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 a complex society where with with huge resources so when things go well they go extremely well and then and then when things turn bad they turn extremely bad so it's so it's it's a very volatile society now uh, what is at stake now is really i'd say in the medium term if um the um, the corruption scandal uh, is effectively dealt with, with including including um, the politicians that are currently in power. That is extending all the way to the right. I think that will be uh, 
that will be a tremendous boost to the what I would call the, the baseline of the flight of the chicken, which would be higher, at least institutionally. And, uh, and this may be decided in the coming months. Because if the, if the judicial system, if by s in some way uh, the investigation stops at the door of the conservative parties, uh, the, the, the problem of legitimacy of the political system, the current problems they have, uh, will be much more severe. And uh, I don't think that democracy is under threat. I don't think that the military will ever come back to power. But the level of cynicism that could develop in the population uh, would be tremendous. And it's already very high because uh, one of the things that you mentioned when uh, Lula was, was a tremendous boost for self-esteem of, of the vast majority of Brazilian in a poor man becoming president, and the man was extremely impressive. I mean, his, his rise to power, and as a politician, he's, uh, he's, a, he's extremely impressive. And, uh, and now, uh, his downfall, because it's becoming increasingly clear that him, or, and at the very least his family, uh, were involved in the corruption scandal. Uh, and, and, and this creates really a large amount of cynicism. And uh, if the judicial system, which is now, it's like the last hero, mm -hmm. if you wish, in terms of the, the legitimacy of the whole political system, if, uh, if the rot reaches the judicial system, which it may still, uh, that would be, that would be a, a big setback for basically the, the general population's trust in their institution. And that's, that's very significant for any country. All right. Well, bringing this to even uh, an even broader context, uh, we're talking about the sit overall situation in Brazil. And what do you think about this situation and kind of uh, whether or not it poses a threat to the relevance of, of BRICS countries? What are your thoughts on BRICS countries? Are those economies stagnating? Are they still relevant? I think the BRICS are mostly the, the, the idea of the BRICS as uh, as a new basis of power as the as 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 a redefinition if you wish of of global uh, of the global architecture was always uh, a bit of an exaggeration i mean it's, people were conflating they were basically putting china with the rest and and this completely distorted the picture um south africa is a marginal economy uh, Brazil is unstable. Uh, Russia is uh, contracting demographically. So, so the, the whole construction was already quite fragile. So, um, the crisis in Brazil probably contributes further to uh, the delegitimation of 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 the BRICS as a, as as a useful concept and to what it represented in terms of a challenge to the current. Um, to basically the current global architecture. That being said, there's no denying that uh, big powers of the South and the Brazil will remain a major economy, whatever happens, uh, however inefficient they are in long-term growth, Brazil will remain uh, a massive economy and, and very significant power. And from that standpoint, uh, the BRICS may be over, but the G20 mm -hmm. is is not over, and uh, the relative uh, decline of Europe and the United States will will continue. 
Um, so um, the brakes are out, but <laughs> welcome something else. The global south, the big powers of the global south are still there and they are there to stay. Can you think of a new acronym? <laughs> I'm not. I don't like. I don't like those acronyms. I it'd don't, be a long acronym. Yeah, it'd be a very, very long. If you got the G20 <laughs> not in there, so catchy. Yeah, yeah. It'd just be the alphabet soup. <laughs> yeah. uh, to talk about the Olympic Games, and let's take Zika and put it aside for a second. Yes. And let's just talk about the Olympic Games in the political and economic context of Brazil. Um, are the Olympic Games worth potentially worsening worsening the the already precarious situation in the country? I mean, you look at host cities developed developing. There have been good success stories. There have been not so successful stories. You don't have to look very. You don't, you don't have to look any further than Montreal to see a situation where a city hosted an Olympics and they were paying for it for decades. Um, is the money invested or or the expected uh, uh, increase in revenue significant enough to offset the risk? Um, I I don't see. Obviously, it's not a good deal. Mm-hmm. It's not a good deal. It was, it was, uh, and you, you mentioned the Olympics, but it came right after two years ago. You had the, the World Cup, the World mm-hmm. Cup, the football, soccer, as we say here, uh, and the two together for Brazil was was a tremendous boost to self esteem. Mm-hmm. It was it was a triumph for Lula to get to get the two together, and um, as you know, the World Cup was already a disaster for Brazil. Um, because um, first of all, not as much money was made, uh, which was which was which was quite obvious. But also, Brazil was massacred by Germany. It was in Maracanã, in the major stadium. That was it was this was a big shock, and mm-hmm. uh, and arguably, <laughs> arguably the beginning of of the, the, this this period of, of chaos that we're talking about. Uh, I don't see the Olympics having the same kind of impact. First of all, Brazil is not an Olympic power, so much less is at stake. Uh, the image of the city, the city is beautiful. I was there for uh, for. Um, almost two weeks uh, at the end of my stay. Uh, it remains a, a marvelous place. Uh, the Olympic uh, installations are beautiful. Some of them are not fully finished, but uh, uh, the city is lively. And uh, yes, there are many Zika cases and uh, and it's its usual chaotic mess, but, but, but there won't be, there won't be, I can't see anything really bad happening and as to the the expenditures again i mean uh it's the kind of things that brazil does uh, a big investment in things that don't necessarily have a very high rate of return uh but uh see in a way that's part of what rio is see the, the part of it is showy uh it's expensive but uh but people like to think that that, that the city is worth it so uh, by all means, if you have a chance to go, or wait, wait, wait shortly after. But it's it's it, I'd go, I'd go. It's 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 a beautiful place. It's uh, so I don't see the Olympic as some kind of test of Brazil and of Rio or anything like that. I think the Brazilians will appreciate that as a break in this whole chaos. The only problem they have is that um, their prospect for medals are not very good. <laughs> But uh, but there will be some diversion. And as to the bay, it was mentioned, the Bay of Guanabara, I've never seen the water of the bay as clean as it is now. Mm. Uh, it's uh, just, all the surrounding areas, beautiful. Um, 
really I don't I don't think that that the image of of Rio will suffer much and most of the installations are in place disaster can happen disaster often happens but I I don't I don't see any anything um, any disaster any necessary disaster about to happen in the, during the games all right well that was very insightful and it's a great perspective to hear about Brazil outside of kind of the Zika articles and and all the the chaos we've been hearing about via all the newspapers and the media I think there's always a, a certain degree of of uh, of exaggeration exaggeration thank yeah. you yes uh, <laughs> and a lot of uh, innuendo and, and, and misunderstanding, or you hear one thing and then that gets... People just run with it sometimes. Yeah. Perhaps just, uh, it's a bit off topic, but, uh, but right now one of the biggest issues in Brazil is uh, sexual violence. Uh, just been a rape uh, that was very poorly covered, all kinds of declaration. Uh, there are, there's more aspect of the mm -hmm. chaos. Last year, 60,000 people were murdered in Brazil. Uh, violence very high in Rio. It's picking up. It's already very high. Police violence is high. Uh, I I don't want. I mean, I want. I don't. I think Rio will get away with with all this, but but the country still needs to confront uh, massive challenges that that are not. Let's say that at the same that that are not part of what we discussed, mm -hmm. but that that are in many ways the the normal. The normal and the normal in Brazil uh, got much better, as you mentioned. Many less poor people, but the normal is still pretty bad for the majority of the population. So, I, I well, I don't want to exaggerate the bad side. I think we should keep in mind that it's a it's a rough place. Yeah, yeah. important to keep in context that that, for all intents and purposes, Brazil is still a developing country and major metropolitan centers in, in many countries developing or developed have their issues yeah. uh, and so it's a uh, chicago always work to be yeah, done exactly. yes. always work to be done that's all the time we have today thank you dr delin that was a uh, very insightful and as i mentioned a great perspective to be shared with us definitely sheds a bit more light on the complexity of uh, the policy environment in brazil at this time yeah and i think looking forward in the next weeks and months as the Olympic Games unfold and the aftermath and the ultimate decisions, uh, politically speaking, with impeachment for the president. Uh, I think attention is going to be focused on Brazil for a while. I agree. All right. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Policy Talks. Stay tuned for the next episode with Joshua Beanlands and Nicole Halseth tackling the issue of Britain's decision to stay or exit the European Union. Should be interesting with the uh, upcoming referendum this month. The Brexit. Interesting <laughs> stuff. Uh, we also want to give a, a quick thanks to our research team who put together all the information that we've talked about today. Uh, specifically, Mark Hyken, Devin Walanius, Shatta Ali, Jackie Ruezga, and of course, our producer, Joe Venkatesh. For more episodes, you can find us at www.policytalkspodcast.com. Until next time, I'm Mitch. And I'm Mel. This is Policy Talks.